Over these last couple of weeks, if you've been with us, you have heard Jesus tell stories and, and draw many mental pictures. A farmer sows seed over various soils with various results. A lamp that's meant to shine and not be concealed. Another farmer, he speaks of scattered seed and it grows slowly but surely from a power that is beyond the farmer himself. A tiny, nearly undetectable mustard seed grows into this sizable plant that is able to protect the birds of the air. Stories and pictures of whom the receptive ear, the the one who is spiritually receptive, will hear of God, will hear of Jesus, will hear of his kingdom, and then how they should respond. Such stories call many of our hearts to trust and respond to unseen realities. But then we go back to everyday life. The, the mower acts up. Your, your, your daughter gets in trouble at school. Your mother just got a scary diagnosis from the doctor. Someone's talking about you at work. You're having some conflict with someone at church. You just have that, had that unexpected expense come up that you know you don't have the money for. Your friend that keeps making bad decisions and you keep trying to just lovingly speak into just will not take sound counsel. You're not sure to how to handle the needs of your aging parents. The headlines and the political talking heads keep shouting that the sky is falling. You go back to real life. So my point this morning is simply this. As you follow Jesus in your everyday life, of the mower breaking down and your daughter getting in trouble and and you going to the doctor and you going to work and you're dealing with hard stuff and relationships, in your everyday life, the seemingly abstract concepts of faith, concepts that you hear uh, talked about at church, concepts that we sing about when we praise God through worship, Concepts that you read about in Scripture, that you hear Jesus talk about. Those seemingly abstract concepts of faith must become concrete. And what I mean by that is is that they're meant to work out in how you respond to real life. That sounds elementary, but it's something that those who profess to be Christians struggle with all the time. The stuff that Jesus talks about, that God's Word talks about, that you, that we, you, you hear preached about, is meant to work out in real life. The, the disciples had been hearing the stories, and they also had the, the privilege of hearing some in-depth explanations from Jesus. And they too surely want to trust in unseen realities and respond to unseen realities that God is doing something beneath the surface, even if you can't see it with your eyes at the time. But then there's real life. 
And these fishermen go out. Jesus calls them out in what we're about to read to the, onto the Sea of Galilee. He says, let's go to the other side of the lake. They just had this really long, arduous, but beautiful day of ministry. And now that the disciples are, many of them fishermen are surely like, now we're in our territory. Jesus is, is safe with us. And they set out on this body of water. It's actually quite unique. It's 13 miles long, 7 miles wide, 150 feet deep. And it's surrounded by mountainous terrain. And then what makes it particularly unique is that the shoreline is 680 feet below sea level. Below sea level. And, and this setting with the mountains and how low it is below sea level makes it susceptible to sudden and violent storms. But these men know these waters. They're well acquainted with these waters. And these storms typically don't come up in the evening when they set out. But nevertheless, they get caught in a furious squall. So how will they apply these abstract lessons of faith in the kingdom of God to a very real concrete storm. A storm that threatens their very lives, or so they think. The reality is, is they handle it a lot like we do. Let's read this, 35, chapter 4, the Gospel of Mark, 35 through 41. That, that day when evening came, he, being Jesus, said to his disciples, Let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, so the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So after this long day, Jesus calls his disciples to take him on the other side of the lake. Mark says that they take him just as he was, which is interesting. Practically, we say that that probably simply means that they didn't go to the shore um, and gather any, anything from the shore. They set off. Jesus was already in the boat preaching. They got in the boat, set off in the boat, most likely that he was already preaching in. But... but I wonder about phrases like this, just as he was. 
This wonder sometimes, does Mark have something deeper going on? You know, this boat, we, we, we take Jesus and we say we receive Jesus and the Son of the living God is willing to come into the lifeboat of anyone who will receive him by faith. But we take him just as he is. We don't take him to form him into our image. We don't take him to, to, to try and convince him to do what we want him to do or our will or our way. It's the reverse that needs to happen. He is not the one that needs to change. He is the one that needs to change us. We receive him just as he is. And the first reality that we're faced with this, in this story of the storm that really may strike you as somewhat unsettling is that we could say that Jesus led them into the storm. Have you, have you ever found yourself in life kind of despairing before God and saying, wait a minute, God, you led me into this. You led me into this new place. You led me into this job. I was praying about it. I'm sure that your hand was in it. You led me into this ministry. You led me into this relationship. And now it's really hard. And we pray that, you know, Lord, you led me into this as if his leading should, should mean for us smooth sailing all the time. As if wherever he leads, it guarantees calm waters. And it doesn't. It just doesn't. And, and if you're hearing a, a constant diet of that, that, that somehow trusting in God means things are good all the time, you're not really... I mean, Deb's appropriately laughing. You're not reading God's Word. Because it doesn't. It Life is hard and life has trials and life has difficulties. And trusting in Jesus doesn't mean that all that will stop. And sometimes, as unsettling as it may seem, Jesus may be the one that invites us into something that becomes really hard. And, and Jesus is clearly physically exhausted... He, he's, he's displaying his very real humanity. This is actually the only place in God's word that it says Jesus slept. But he did sleep. He obviously slept. Um, he's so tired, in fact, that he, he's sleeping in the back of the boat and he doesn't wake up when the storm hits. So, I mean, I don't know if you could picture that. I mean, the, this, this tossing of the sea and, and the waves crashing over the side of the boat and the, and the wind is howling and everybody's getting drenched. I cut my grass, man. It started raining last night. I kept cutting. I was just like, Lord, I'm going to praise you through this storm. You know, so everyone's getting I couldn't have slept through it. I was getting soaked to the bone, but I was going to finish. And here's Jesus just sleeping in the back of the boat. And you get this sense, you know that he's tired, but he's completely at peace. The storm holds no terror for him. But the disciples are a hot mess. They're afraid, they're panicking. 
They wake Jesus and they ask him with this, this clear tone of a frustrated rebuke, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He called them on this voyage and now he, here he is napping while we're all about to die. Is he completely indifferent to our plight? Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care? It's not a question we would typically verbalize out loud. Jesus, don't you care? But it's often a deep question of the soul. Even people that have been walking with Jesus for a very long time When the pain doesn't stop, or the prayer just seems to go unanswered, or the bad situation just gets worse, Jesus, don't you care if I drown? (laughs) Don't you care that I'm hurting? Don't you care that my loved one is hurting? And I wonder if it's perhaps one of our deepest fears, maybe not so much of the situation itself, but being afraid that maybe there's not a God that cares and loves enough to intervene. And these disciples in their panic just express this to Jesus, teacher, don't you care? Psalm 89, verse 9 says, the psalmist writes, You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. And the psalmist is uh, clearly speaking of God. He's the one that's in control of his creation. But, But now it's Jesus, this man that they had walked with and ate with and asked questions of and and laughed with. It's Jesus that gets up groggy-eyed in the boat and and the the waves splashing and, and the chaos ensuing. It's this man that gets up and looks out to the sea and the waves and the wind and says, Settle down! And immediately... The storm listens. Now, theologically, this is one of those moments where we see Jesus as what we could call Lord of creation. Who can speak to creation and have it obey? Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by him all things were created, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And the disciples see it, but you sense they still can't come to this astonishing conclusion. And they're like, who is this? 
Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? God is standing in their boat. And, and now they were, they were cowering at the storm, and suddenly it's Jesus who they'd walked with and talked with and laughed with, and all of a sudden it's he that terrifies them. And that word there really speaks of just awe. They were in awe. The message reads, they were, abs- they were in absolute awe, staggered. And Jesus asked two questions. And they, are, they dovetail together. One relates to fear. One relates to faith. Because each is the antagonist of the other. And he first asked them why they were so afraid, literally why they were cowering. And then he asked, do you still have no faith? Now, we love to focus on Jesus calming the storm. And that's incredibly important to the narrative. He's the Lord of all creation. We're seeing him as God. There's certain moments, and you, you sense this is one of the moments for the disciples. There's certain moments that really just everything seems to open up and you go, oh, wow. And for the disciples, this is one of those moments with Jesus. But his questions that he poses relate to how they respond to the storm. And the point seems to be that they didn't need to fear the storm. Instead, they should have had faith in the one who was with them in the storm. Donald English writes, For the disciple, it should be enough to be with the Lord. Whether life seas are running smoothly or not, we do not judge his care for us, nor the state of our discipleship, by the roughness of the seas over which we sail. You know, sometimes you're going to call out to Jesus in a really tough situation, and his mercy and grace are going to be such that he calms the storm immediately. I've seen situations like that. And then there's other times that you're going to do that, and he won't. At least not immediately. We know in glory all the storms are calm, right? But sometimes storms last a long time. And what Jesus seems to be calling to his disciples for here is a faith that's mature enough that would intervene within the storm. A faith that would say, as long as Jesus is with me, it's enough. As long as I know he's with me, it's enough. I really need not fear, for he is fully trustworthy. John Philip says, What Jesus promises is not his protection from the storm, 
but his presence in the storm. So the sometimes abstract lessons of faith, hope, and love, of the kingdom rule of God, the kingdom of, kingdom of God is here, of Jesus being Savior and Lord. They're not just intended for the intellect. They're not just intended for philosophy and, and theory. They're not just intended for some mystical and tangible realm. They're meant to work out in your real life. Mark's writing to a church in Rome that was under terrible persecution. People were dying because they followed Jesus Christ. Their storm was real, their storm was severe, and they needed an object of their faith that was just as real. They needed to know that Jesus did care, that Jesus is with them, and that he is ultimately the Lord over their storm. However long it lasts. So what storm are you in right now? I don't know what brought it on, and maybe even Jesus himself has invited you into it to your surprise. The bigger storm to conquer is usually not the one on the outside. The bigger storm that needs to be conquered is usually the one on the inside. The one of between faith and fear. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Can you trust that Jesus, the Lord over all creation, does care? That he is with you. Can the intervention of his presence be enough to calm the storm that's within you? Craig, can I invite you up?